0: a perfect gift and gives that gift to meet an unmet need in our life, you have a choice. If you're ever going to achieve oneness, if you're ever going to weave with an imperfect person, you're going to have to focus on on the character and the goodness of your father that knows how to give good gifts to his children. He knows exactly what you need.
1: Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. Well, last week we learned in the Marriage matter series that to achieve oneness in marriage, there are three definite choices that we need to make. From the book of Genesis, we learned that God's design for the very first marriage is for a husband and wife to first leave and then to cleave, Join me now as Pastor Trent explains the third choice that we make in working towards a marriage that demonstrates the beauty of biblical oneness and focuses on the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Here's Pastor Trent.
0: Look at verse 19. It says, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a what? A helper. A helper fit for him. So can you imagine being Adam? You wake up, you're missing a rib, and all of a sudden your eyes fall on something that has not yet been named. Remember, Adam's seen it all. And all of a sudden there's something standing before him that he's never seen before. By the way, it's before Adam, before God created clothes too. So, I mean, he was pretty excited when he woke up. Alright? I mean, he's looking at this and he's like, whoa! Man! That's what he named her. Whoa, man. That's it. (laughs) This is the principle. Look at verse 23. See if it sounds familiar. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones. You know what he's saying? He's like, man, you have bones like my bones. The platypus doesn't have bones like my bones. And, And better yet, You've got flesh like my flesh. Matter of fact, your flesh is kind of an upgrade over my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, here's the familiar part. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or be joined or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When Adam woke up and saw what God had provided for him, Adam had a choice to make. You know what the choice was? Would he receive what God provided to meet his need? Would he receive it? When I was 16 years, when I was 10 years old, I I told my dad, I said, Dad, when I turn 16, I need a Mustang. That's what I need. You got six years to provide. I'm giving you plenty of time. Okay. I don't want to rush you. So on my 11th birthday, I reminded him of his obligation and and 12, I was an only child, you know, sorry. Anyway, um, 13, 14, when I was 15, i was like, dad, you got one more year here. Okay. Need a Mustang. I remember the day that I came home from school and sitting in the driveway was a 1967 red Mustang that was also green and gray and missing. It, I, I would really call it like the remains of a 1967 Mustang. And um, um, I was so thrilled. I, I had such a look of joy and, and contentment and, and, and gratitude in my heart. I looked like this. Now, if you can get past the tube socks and the, uh, the stylish shorts of that day and just focus on the, the look of joy on my face, that, that was not exactly what I was expecting. Okay. And, um, so you know, I, I was just like, Really? I mean, that's what you want me to drive? And I mean I'm not gonna look very good in that. And I I'm I feel like my life may be in danger actually driving that. And there there was no engine. Um there there was no floorboard, there were no seats, there was there was no steering wheel, there there was just nothing. The best parts of the, the car had been bought by a father that loved his sixteen-year-old child and <laughs> sitting in somebody else's driveway, and I got that, okay? So um Friends would drive past the house and kind of honk and laugh, you know, and their Camaros and all this stuff. So I had to deal with that. But then I I came home from school one day when I was about 15 and a half, and I noticed that the Mustang was gone. So I had a party. I'm like, great, it's gone. They opened the garage door, and it had made its way into the garage. And um, then I noticed my dad started to spend some time in the garage with the Mustang. And... um, on my 16th birthday, the car rolled out of the garage and it looked like this. Yeah, that's what I said too. Whoa, man, that's awesome. You, give me the keys, give me the keys, give me the keys, right? And so I remember the time that my dad took those keys and and he said, hold out your hand. Bam, and it became mine. Now... The day that I saw this, and I didn't, I wasn't really asking for the keys. It it was hard to receive the gift that God was providing because I didn't have enough confidence in what my dad was doing with the gift. And the gift wasn't finished. He was going to go to work on it. And... If I could have just seen all that God was doing, it would have been a lot easier to receive it on the first day. Why do I tell you that story? Because, quite honestly, every husband in this room, every wife in this room looks a lot more like that than that. Right? We're an unfinished product. We've got things that have eroded and corroded and things that are missing and and, and God's not finished with any of us yet. And yet, when God brings a perfect gift and gives that gift to meet an unmet need in our life, you have a choice. If you're ever going to achieve oneness, if you're ever going to weave with an imperfect person, you're going to have to focus on. On the character and the goodness of your father that knows how to give good gifts to his children. He knows exactly what you need. And he brings a wife to a man. And a man to a wife. And if we could just get our eyes on what God is doing, rather than on the gift itself, we would be able to receive them with gratefulness and joy and hope and grace. Now, some of you ladies are like, I don't really get the Mustang thing. Alright, got a different illustration for you. Ladies, you're at home, and uh, there's a brown truck that drives up in your driveway. And there's a man in a brown shirt that gets out, and he's carrying a brown package. And he walks up to your porch, and he rings the doorbell, and you answer the door, and he says, Oh, I have a package for you. And... Um, Oh, it's COD. It's cash on delivery. Uh, It'll be $35. Now, at that point, you're looking at the package. And you're noticing, do do I really want to receive that package? I mean, it's kind of bashed in on one side and dripping and leaking out of the other. And you're trying to size up this package to see if it's worth what he wants for payment. Now... He's not going to know what's in the package, but you're probably going to ask him a question. What question are you going to ask this guy? What's the question? Who's it from? Right? So he looks on the package like, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Trent Griffith. And you say, my pastor. He loves me, he gives good gifts. This is good. I'll pay that. Yeah. And, and you, you're going to pay the price. and You're going to receive the package. Right. Now, some of you ladies, you, you look at your husband and you're noticing he's kind of bashed in on one side and dripping and leaking out of the other. And you're trying to figure out whether or not do I really want to receive that? What should you ask? Same question. Who's he from? You may not be very impressed with the performance. But you can trust the goodness and the character of the sender of the package. And if you can get your eyes vertical and off of the horizontal flaws and imperfections of your spouse you will be able to do something that is so necessary to establish oneness in your home. Namely, receiving your spouse as God's perfect gift for you. Now, a little commercial break here. I told you last week I wanted to be very sensitive to people who are not married while they're enduring this Marriage Matters series. Because I know what you're sitting there thinking. If you're single or, or widowed or, or divorced, you, this is like pouring salt into an open wound. Because you're sitting here saying, I'd be glad to receive the gift if the guy would ever show up and give him to me. Right? Like, how long do I have to wait for this? I know, I know, I know. I, I just want to say to you this, okay? Single and married, please understand this. There is not another human being on the planet who can meet the deepest longings of your soul. And I guarantee you, if you could spend a little time talking to some of the married people in here, you would understand how ridiculously short we all fall in trying to meet the needs of our spouse. And if we're exclusively looking to a husband or a wife... To meet something, some need that only God can meet, you're going to be so sadly disappointed when you finally do get married. You're like, I was kind of being better single, you know. It, and that's, that's the dilemma. We have to get our eyes vertical. And until you do, you'll never be able to understand what God is doing in your singleness or in your married life. Singles, listen to this. I know many times you, you feel lonely. Understand that. As a church, we need to be the kind of uncommon community that pursues singles and says, You can be a part of my family. we're, We're part of a bigger family. But please hear me. There is a loneliness that only a married person can experience. You know what that is? That is being married to a person that you have not achieved oneness with. That's a loneliness that's even deeper than being single. And that's why this is so important. We've got to receive the good gifts that God gives in our husband and our wife. And receiving our spouse is not a one-time act. It happens every day and every time you notice a flaw. You get your eyes off the flaw. You get your eyes on the cinder of the gift. And you say, God, I am in this To the finish line. So we are going to make three choices to establish oneness. What's the first choice? I'll say it again. What's the first choice? Leave. What's the second choice? Cleave. Cleave. And I'm a preacher, so the third point is weave. That's right. This is the easiest outline in the whole Bible. I mean, it's just right there in the text. Weave. And so here's what we mean by that. Weave. God uses the relentless pursuit of oneness with an imperfect spouse to force me to face the imperfections still in me. So, how are we going to explain this? Notice again here in the text, it says that they too shall become one flesh. And look at verse 25. One of the most exciting verses in the Bible. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, my wife, she's from South Alabama. When she quotes that verse, she says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I always have to translate that, okay? And uh, somebody had a very good observation. Well, you know, naked means you don't have any clothes on. Naked means you don't have any clothes on and you're up to something, okay? So uh, we're, we're just talking about naked here, all right? So notice here, uh, God wants to use uh, an imperfect husband and an imperfect wife Putting them together to achieve something they could never achieve on their own. And that is intimacy. You you see, the the analogy is is when you're naked, there's nothing between you and your spouse. And that is intimacy, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and physical intimacy all ordained as tools to achieve oneness in our marriages so we um, should receive our spouse and weave with them so I took the word weave and we're going to create a little an uh, acronym out of the word weave the first step in understanding weaving is this you need to welcome the differences of your spouse Again, you look at your spouse and they're smashed in on one side and you wouldn't do it that way. And maybe they grew up in a different background and they have different religious views or, or, or they like sports and you hate sports. I mean, some of you are thinking, man, if I just hadn't married someone so different than me, I wouldn't have such a problem weaving with them. You, you've seen those dating websites like eHarmony and you ever seen those? The, the, eHarmony has this commercial that says, we, we match you against 29 dimensions of compatibility. Really? If Andrew and I had taken that test, we would have failed. They would have matched us with somebody else. The time to measure your compatibility is before you say I do. After you say I do, you're never again allowed to measure your compatibility. You know why? Because we're all incompatible. Every one of us has a sin issue that is going to hurt and bump up against the sin issues in our spouse. You see, it's not about being the same. When Andrew and I got married, you remember we spent all this time together before we married, and so we were just totally convinced we were identical in every way. We were a match made in heaven, right? And um, we knew that because um, on Valentine's Day, prior to getting married, we actually bought each other the same Valentine's gift. Well, there you go. Sign from God. you know. We both went to a store independently of one another, not knowing what the other person was going to do. We bought the same gift and we gave it to each other. So I was like, we're just identical. This is awesome. We'll never have any conflict. We'll just be a model of marriage to the world. And, and then, we, you know, I remember Andrea started fixing meals. She loves to work in the kitchen. She loves to, to fix meals and, and she served up a meal. And I, I was like looking around on the plate to find something that had protein in it. Um, there, there was no meat. And I, I had to let her know. It's like, honey, it's, it's just kind of an appetizer until the meat shows up, you know. And uh, matter of fact, it would be good if the appetizers were meat, you know. And it's like there has to be something that once was alive and now is dead, has been, has been burned on a grill. That, that's just kind of the way it works because I like meat.
2: I like vegetables.
0: And I like Mexican food.
2: And I love Chinese food.
0: And I like pepper. I love salt. And I like Diet Coke.
2: I only drink Coke.
0: I like the coffee really strong. I like it weak. I like snow skiing.
2: I love to water ski.
0: I grew up listening to country music.
2: I only listen to pop music.
0: I'm an only child.
2: I'm the oldest of three.
0: I came from a blue-collar family.
2: I grew up in a white-collar family. I know nothing about technology.
0: I have a degree in technology.
2: I love I love to read.
0: I like to watch TV. I
2: like to be with people.
0: I can live without them.
2: (laughs) I tend to always communicate the details.
0: I like to get to the bottom line.
2: I value planning.
0: I'm spontaneous.
2: I seem to always break things.
0: I can fix things.
2: I can think of no better way to spend a day than one of those aquariums, you know, those huge ones that you just watch the fish all day long.
0: I hate fish. They just float around. They have no life. It's just it's boring.
2: I brush my teeth three times a day.
0: I think once is enough.
2: I floss every night. I
0: flossed a few times last year.
2: I have had twelve cavities. I've never had one. I like to collab, to work together with people on projects.
0: And I like to work alone. I like to work alone, honey. So, um, just, all right, weaving, it, it's not dependent upon sameness. Weaving is dependent upon your obedience to receive your spouse as God's perfect gift for you and then pursue that person with all of your heart and all of your grace. And so um, we are to weave, welcome differences and expel independence. And this this is my big hang up here. I grew up as an only child. I didn't really talk to anyone until I was about 12. And um, just working on projects together, is a, is, that's a challenge for me. So anyway, we, we have to understand that expelling independence is so important because you are now interdependent with one another. What happens so often is relationships that begin face-to-face can begin to drift into shoulder to shoulder as kids start arriving and you've got to uh, balance the checkbook and, and you've got to become caregivers for parents and you become cab drivers for your children and event planners for parties that are going on. And all these things that are going on can create an issue with living separate lives with one another. So expel independence and... Appreciate friendship. You probably got married because you felt like you had met your best friend. And so often when friendship is devalued and we want to look for romance, that's where we lose our independence. So we need to do things. We we lose our, our oneness. So we need to do things that put us together. Oneness does not mean we are in perfect agreement about every issue. What it does mean is that we're moving the same direction. We're sharing the same experiences. We're embracing the same values. We're, We're carrying a load to make it lighter for the other person. We're worshiping the same God and choosing to operate Together, as one in the most practical areas of our lives, is how you develop oneness. So let me ask you a question. Very practical. Do you have, do you share one checking account? Or, or do you have independent checking accounts? You know what? Having one checking account forces you to do? It forces you to talk to one another. What are you spending? What are you spending? Why are you spending? And what are we saving? And do we have enough money for that? But if you have independent checking accounts it you can drift into isolation if you want to pursue oneness and expel indifference it, it it's a good thing to have one checking account do you budget your money together do you share one bedroom and one bed smashing together in oneness do you go to bed at the same time do you do you have a one-minded approach to child discipline Do you pray together daily? Do you enjoy entertainment and recreation as one? Do you have a weekly date where you talk as one? Do you share mutual friendships with other couples? Do you worship and serve the Lord as one? Is it any question where you will both be on a Sunday morning at this time? It's something we do to build our oneness, expelling independence. The, the scripture says this about friendship. The song "Song of Solomon" is a wonderful uh, poem, song lyrics about a husband and a wife. And one of those verses of that song, the wife says, "This his mouth is most sweet." Now, how many of you think that's actually because he had like sugar lips? No. What was sweet to her about his mouth? He talked. That's very attractive to a woman. doesn't matter if you've got teeth missing. Your mouth is sweet if you know how to use it to communicate as a man. He is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my, what? Friend. That's the goal of oneness. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, eat your heart out. I got a guy that knows how to talk, and he's a lover, and he's a friend. Here's the other thing. Vertical focus. Vertical focus. We've been talking about this. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God knew what He was doing when He brought you your mate. And finally, endure trials Together, endure trials together. Trials and difficulties will either drive you apart or bind you together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Is that what happens when your spouse falls? Do you lift them up? Or do you go over and kick them while they're down? But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him a 3 cord is not quickly broken God knew what he was doing when he put us together God knew what he was doing when he created us with an unmet need and then brought another person alongside of us to complement us in those ways are you pursuing oneness are you drifting apart pursuing oneness is an intentional choice to do those three things to leave, break past dependencies to cleave to receive our mate as God's perfect gift for us, to weave understanding that God is using the imperfections in that person to reveal things in me that he wants to change.
1: Well, I don't know about you, but I sure appreciate the humorous way that Pastor Trent and his wife Andrea demonstrated that oneness in marriage is not dependent upon sameness. Using the acronym WEAVE, Pastor Trent also taught how a husband and wife can work toward oneness by welcoming indifference, expelling independence, appreciating friendship, being vertically focused, and enduring trials together. Biblical oneness in marriage can be achieved. Well, each week at Harvest Bible Chapel, we get vertically focused together as we lift high the name of Jesus through worship and the teaching of God's Word. We'd like to invite you to join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on our Granger, Indiana campus, and Sundays at 10 a.m. on our St. Joseph, Michigan campus. To find out more information about either campus, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. And join us again next week as we continue in our Marriage Matters series and learn why marriage matters to our children. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.